0: everybody, welcome back to Behind the Curtain Mysteries of the Past and Present. I'm Ryan. This is Josh. I am Josh. That is Josh.
1: <laughs> and uh, there's a third person with us today. Ooh, the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a fourth person <laughs> with us today. There is a fourth person, uh, a very, very special guest, Ryan. That's right. We've got Dr. Laura Sanger on the show today. <laughs>
0: She's become very popular recently, uh, so we're very glad that she had time to, to speak with us. And um, but she, the topic of today's podcast, this is by far, Josh, this is by far my favorite episode.
1: Very, very important topic, very informational topic. Uh, that, that The information that she shares with us and teaches us is just really, really great.
0: Yeah, last week we talked about Balenciaga and global elites and occult and how, you know, is there something going on behind the curtain? Wink, wink, uh, you know, to manipulate society or control humanity. And Dr. Laura Sanger has spent time studying this topic. And um, she's, what I love about her is that she is very spiritually minded, but because she has a research, uh, she, I mean, she's a psychologist. Research background, yeah. 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 So so she makes it very practical and very scientific even. And so she backs up, uh, you know, the things that she, see spiritually mm-hmm. um and so. you know
1: Ryan the first time i heard a lot of the things that she proposes just cuz i had never heard some of these things i was like oh that seems so strange and so awkward and you know but man the more i listened the more i leaned in like she has got some really profound truths and has found and researched and documented in her book The Roots of the Federal Reserve a lot of very important biblical spiritual practical things that i think christians should know
0: yeah so right now we're gonna go ahead and turn it over to her hope you guys enjoy this uh interview with dr laura sanger and stay tuned after the interview uh josh and i will give a little some remarks afterwards all right guys enjoy Okay. Well, today Josh and I are very pleased to have Dr. Laura Sanger on our show. She was gracious enough to, to accept an invite and, uh, and let us interview her about her, her work and her material. And, um, that I'm going to tell you some of the things that Josh and I've heard from her on other podcasts on her YouTube channel, mind blowing. And and so we got her herself here to d- discuss it. Just We're look, not going to try right, to interpret she's it She's right her. over there in yeah. the video. Look at this. <laughs> there she is.
1: <laughs> Praise so the Lord.
0: This is, this is awesome. Uh, we've only had one other guest on our show so far. And uh, so this is kind of a big deal for us. You, yeah. You're like you're, you're like celebrity <laughs> status for us, you know? So this is awesome. Uh, but yeah, I I, I want to let you get right into, you know, yep. why don't you start by just introducing yourself, talk about the work that you've done. And uh, you have a book that has, made some waves so uh we'll just let you you explain it
2: well first of all thanks for having me it's always good to connect with new audiences and new people so I appreciate the opportunity so for those that don't know much about me my background is by profession I'm a psychologist and so um you know i've I've worked in all sorts of different uh genres and fields um, I've retired from clinical work in 2013, but throughout my career, I specialized in chronic mental illness, personality disorders, addictions, and then also working with adolescents. I've also uh, done some sports psychology work with soccer teams, which I really love because I've been an athlete. Well, I was an athlete most of my life (laughs) as I get older, not so much, but um, and I love blending um, that athletics with the sports psychology aspect of it. So I've had fun doing that, working with different soccer teams. Um, and I just, I'm one of those people who just absolutely loves to learn. So I've, I've got this naturally inquisitive mind and I'm just constantly formulating questions in my head to go research. And I don't have the time to research all the questions in my head, um, but the Holy Spirit helps prioritize those for me. So I'm super grateful. And, you know, I've been involved in research since 1989 when I started at the VA Medical Center in La Jolla, California. I was working in the Department of Psychiatry and I was doing research with people that have schizophrenia and I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. And so I just pursued that even further. I did my dissertation in the area of schizophrenia. Um, I really wanted to, to work with people with chronic mental illness to help them have a voice in society, they're very marginalized. So I I bring that experience of doing research uh, to what I wrote. Also, um, I have some expertise in what's called spiritual mapping. And so I offer this unique perspective on the roots of the Federal Reserve in my book. But I have to say, I never intended to write a book on the Federal Reserve. I mean, I'm a psychologist after all, like what, what am I doing (laughs) writing about our monetary system? But it really started for me back in 2014. Um, The Lord just kept nudging me to Do a spiritual mapping prayer brief on the Federal Reserve. And so that's what I did. Now, um, a lot of people aren't familiar with spiritual mapping. Have you, you probably have heard me speak about it if you've heard some of my podcasts, but does your audience know what spiritual mapping is?
0: No, I don't think uh, so. No, I'll just say the short
1: answer is no, not, not the (laughs) way you mean it. Um, Yeah, we definitely, we definitely are versed in it now, thanks to you. But man, and I will be honest, the first time I heard you talk about it, I was like, what is this? Uh, it yeah. sounded so strange to me, and then when you started to explain, I was like, "Oh, wow, that really makes sense. That's that sounds great." Yeah,
0: yeah I think the the first time we heard you speak was on blurry creatures, and you went into ley lines and and mm. um, curses over the land and like all kinds of stuff. And that was like, I've never heard a Christian talk about this before. This is like fantasy stuff, you know, <laughs> or, or occult stuff. Yeah, and uh, so to hear your take on it. It honestly was very kind of eye opening to say, like, okay, this is a this is a Christian that is
1: taking an approach to this kind of material. An educated Christian for once. Yeah. Talking about stuff. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I'll describe it a little bit just to help your audience understand, because it it really ties into so much of how, you know, what goes on in our own lives and what goes on in our communities. So essentially what spiritual mapping is, is it's, you know, digging in and and gathering information about the physical, social, and spiritual pulse of a city, a community, a region, a state, an institution, whatever it is, the focus of that mapping project is. And so what we do is we gather information, you know, we, we dig through history to uncover those ancient roots of defilement. And there's three components to spiritual mapping. There's reconnaissance, there's research, and then there's informed intercession. So what we do with reconnaissance is we'll send a team of people out onto the land itself to discern what has taken place here. And these are people that have, you know, gifts in being able to see into the spiritual realm, into other dimensions. You know, people who are gifted in hearing the voice of the Lord people that actually feel what has happened on the land. So, you know, people will get a strong headache or they'll feel like they're swirling or, you know, their back has extreme pain in it. And knowing um, and developing that gift of discernment, we can pinpoint, okay, we know that when we get into a place and there we feel extremely dizzy that there's witchcraft going on. And so it's just learning how our bodies pick up what spiritually is happening on the land. So essentially we'll just take notes on that experience and then we'll pair that with the research component. And what that does is, you know, we'll dig through historical documents, we'll obtain demographic data We'll interview local people because, you know, they've lived in this community, they've seen what's happened. We want to get their insight and perspective. And it's not just interviewing Christians, it's interviewing, you know, those people that the Lord brings to us for that time and season. And then we'll also, we found that looking through old newspaper articles can be incredibly insightful. So we'll take notes on all of that, put it together with the reconnaissance notes, and we write up what's called a spiritual mapping prayer brief. And it has targeted prayer strategies, because what we want to do is inform our intercession. We want to equip intercessors to be able to strike at the root of the issue And what we've found for those of us that have been doing it for a long time, I've been doing it for 25 years, is that there are particular types, four types of iniquity that can establish a stronghold on the land. And so those iniquities are sexual perversion idolatry broken covenants and bloodshed and so what we're doing is we're we're ascertaining has this stuff happened in this community is that why there's difficulties or you know high suicide rates or you know financial ruin uh, businesses going under high divorce rates you know it it plays out in the natural what has happened in the spiritual and so Anyways, we will identify if these iniquities have taken place because what we want to do, again, is we want to equip intercessors to be able to go onto the land, break off the curses, uproot those wicked structures that have been you know, established in the spiritual realm. And we want to release the full measure of blessing that God has for that territory and those people. You know, we want to see them step into the fullness of what God has called them to be. And so we release the Lord's decrees in the land. And this is what leads to community transformation. So anyways, that's spiritual mapping in a nutshell. And so in 2014, i had written this spiritual mapping prayer brief on the Federal Reserve and gathered some intercessors, and we prayed through those targeted prayer strategies. And I really thought my assignment was done. You know, I'm one of those, I'm a constant learner. I'm a student for life. So I always think in assignments, <laughs> and the Lord knows that about me. And so he'll give me a prayer assignment, and I'll dive, you know, head into that and, and just give it everything I have. And then when I feel it lift, then I know, okay, my assignment is done. Well, I thought my assignment was done, but I didn't feel it lift. And the Holy Spirit just kept nudging me over the next like year and a half uh, to pick it back up. So finally in 2016, I did, and I began researching and writing again. And it took me four years to research and write the roots of the Federal Reserve. And so What I do in the book is I wrote it in what I call real time, which means um, I remember this distinctly. Chapter five is my favorite because I'm more personal with people in in that chapter. And I remember writing that chapter having no idea the twists and turns that this investigative journey would take. I, I didn't even know if it would make sense by time I got to the end of writing. Like, would the dots even connect, Lord? what are you having me do? And I, I just, you know, my constant prayer was Jeremiah 33, 3, which says, um, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. And that definitely happened for me because, um, the Lord revealed things that I had no concept of going into writing this book. And I'm just so grateful. I love treasure hunts. My husband and I were in youth ministry for 25 years and we would always plan like these fun, like treasure hunt stuff for the the youth. And the Holy Spirit knows that I love that. And so he essentially took me on this massive treasure hunt for four years. And I was in this place of hiddenness where I just was pouring into the research and writing. So I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And essentially what he had me do is I... You know, the research I did spans from the dawn of humanity to our current day, and I identify the Nephilim agenda that's defiled our monetary system and really practically every institution in our land. And so I trace that agenda from the days of Noah to our current day. And since the book got published, it was published in November of 2020. I know that, you know, he's called me to, um, you know, expose the fruitless deeds of darkness, but have nothing to do with them. And so I'm always grateful like I said, to come on um, and, and talk with new audiences because I want to awaken people to the impact that the Nephilim agenda has on us today. And a lot of that is through these occult practices and influence in our culture.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. And I love that that you, you take a very spiritual approach to it, but you back it up with the research and you have measurable things to put behind it because I find that a lot of people, when they get into... Um, you know, oh, I I feel this, or or you know, uh, and what what most people would call conspiracy theory, right? You know, just out there, wild theories. Uh, but but for you to have research to to back it up and say like, no, we prayed about it and felt this, and the history shows this. I think merging those two worlds is just amazing, and it mm-hmm. and it gives credit to to the Holy Spirit that you know, like this stuff is real. You know, yeah, um, uh, as, like I was saying the last being time. in Baton Rouge. yeah 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 definitely sorry we got (laughs) a lot of we got a lot of stuff on our minds here but i was gonna say like uh you know we we're in baton rouge and like uh new orleans is right down the street and this whole area there's a lot of poverty and and uh sexual immorality and some of the things that you mentioned and so um you know people people want government to fix those things and it's a spiritual thing at the root of it you know and um, it
2: is, there's a lot of voodoo and witchcraft in your area as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was going to say when, uh, last time when I heard you talk about this, um, I'm a Bible guy. So I automatically I'm like, wait a minute, like, is this in the Bible? Like, where do I, and I started looking and I really started to see, you know, I'd always heard that scripture, you know, about calling on the Lord and he'll heal the land. Um, and that's the first thing I thought of. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Like that connects well. And I looked at Jeremiah 23 that talks about the land was under a curse and the land is mourning. And it's almost like the land has like a personality to it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. The land cries out for sure when there's bloodshed on it. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Well,
0: you mentioned the federal reserve. You talked about your book um, and I I'm sure that that'll come up in just a minute, but kind of as a segue, what we discussed, um, in our previous podcast was kind we, we use Balenciaga as an example, their recent, you know, blunder. Mm -hmm. Um, and we (laughs) kind of discussed whether that was a, an accident or intentional and, Mm -hmm. uh, how a lot of the elites in society, Hollywood and politicians and, you know, business owners and things, they, they do have some of these secret, um, occult connections, um, whether they're explicitly practicing some, you know, religion or or whether it's just an idea in their head, you know, like, like we talked about Aleister Crowley and there's a lot of people that don't do exactly what he did, but the whole mindset of do what thou wilt, you know, like know yourself and do what, do what you want, be true to yourself. That has infiltrated all kinds of um, messaging and culture. You know, I wonder, could, could you speak on that and just say like, are, are these, connections real like uh like the federal reserve that's a big deal i mean they they're in control of of the the money in the in the country you know and
1: so yeah well even i think like you know all of these things i think people have this sense that like okay you know government's kind of weird you know politicians don't trust them like but there's a spiritual connection when you talk about the nephilim agenda like we know there's conspiracies and we can put two and two together but i think there's Like you say, there's this deeper meaning behind all of this stuff that we're kind of picking up on. So what is the Nephilim Agenda?
2: Well, great question. And I think it, you know, this all ties together, especially with the occult. Um, So the Nephilim Agenda, essentially it was unleashed during the days of Noah. And so it's the plan to defile the human genome through the propagation of a hybrid race. And the purpose of that is really to overthrow God's kingdom. So if we look at the origins of the Nephilim agenda, we find it in the seed war of Genesis three. And you guys, you know, you've, you've gone through Genesis one through six, so I'm sure you've covered this, but I'll highlight two verses. This is verse 14 and 15. It says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So what we have here is after the fall, Yahweh declared war between the seed of Eve, which is humanity, and the seed of Satan. And we know that one day Eve's seed was going to crush Satan, and this was the prophetic declaration of the coming Messiah. So Satan's strategy was then to contaminate the seed of the woman. So he was trying to alter the genetic code of human life. This is where the fallen sons of God really became integral in Satan's strategy. And we read about this, not only in Genesis six, but also in the extra biblical text of the book of Enoch. And what we learn is that here are these fallen sons of God, you know, they chose to leave their heavenly abode. They invaded the earth realm by descending upon Mount Hermon. And from there, You know, they lusted after the daughters of men, they took them as wives, they mated with them, and they defiled their genome, and they birthed this hybrid race known as the Nephilim. Well, one of the things that I did in my book that I really felt the Lord kind of press upon me to do is, you know, take from my psychology background, and also my background in research, and then also spiritual mapping and pull together a proposed criteria that would help advance our ability to discern the presence of Nephilim traits within individuals. And so what I did in chapter 13 of my book is I identify four physical traits and 19 behavioral characteristics of the Nephilim and their giant offspring because we we must not be deceived in thinking that the Nephilim only roamed the earth during the days of antiquity. So what I try and awaken people to is the fact that there are Nephilim alive today and Nephilim hosts. Now, Nephilim host is a term that I coined in my book. And what that means is it's a human, 100% human, who has partnered with the spiritual forces of darkness to carry out the Nephilim agenda. So these would be people that would meet some of the criteria that I've laid out in chapter 13. And I think really many of them are the titans of global governance. You know, these are the global elites, like we were just talking about a few minutes ago, that are over, you know, banking and industry and big tech and big pharma, the media, the political establishment. Because really, you know, the the globalist agenda and the Nephilim agenda are serving the same end goal. And that is the total domination of humanity. And when you think about it, it's really tyranny on the grandest scale. Nephilim hosts, they are intent on destroying the followers of Jesus while enslaving the masses through control and domination and intimidation. Because at the core of this Nephilim agenda is the goal to strip us of our humanity. They hate the fact that we're created in the image of God. And so they want to defile our human genome. And I thought it would be helpful if maybe I go over... um, I identified 10 of the 19 behavioral characteristics that actually show this occult activity that they're involved in. Um, So let me review those really quick. So these are, um, you know, people who participate in sorcery, witchcraft and or the occult, recurring violent acts displaying disregard for the rights of others, lack of remorse for heinous acts against other living beings. Excessive focus on death-related topics and or symbolism, sexual perversion involving pedophilia, sexual domination of others against their will and or bestiality, trafficker of humans, engage in cannibalism, a pervasive pattern of engagement in sexual and or blood occult rituals, then commit human sacrifices and the enslavement of others. So these are some of the behavioral characteristics of a Nephilim host. And you can see kind of this overlay of how much they are connected with the occult. And I think not only do we, we see this in modern culture, you know, you guys talked about Balenciaga. Um, You know, what I found interesting about that is several things, you know, some people, were writing it off like oh it was an oversight you know they really didn't mean to do that and right but right. when you add up all that they did there is no way that it was an oversight or a coincidence yep. you know they have the ad where the the children were um you know with bdsm teddy bears so teddy bears in bondage attire one of the ads in in that particular um published ad that was released, they have children laying on a couch with a BDSM teddy bear and then alcohol surrounded. So that is not communicating that this is a safe environment for children. Right. But again, oh, we could play that off. But then, you know, some of the ads just following that was there was an ad just advertising a purse, you know, purse was on a desk with a bunch of papers, And one of the papers that if you zoom in and looked at the context, people were able to identify that that was a Supreme Court case, Ashton versus um, Free Speech Coalition. And in that particular Supreme Court case, they reversed a portion of the Child Pornography Protection Act in which they allowed virtual child pornography to be lawful. So that was a huge win for the pedophiles. And, of course, Balenciaga is choosing this to be the backdrop of one of their purses. There's not a coincidence there. Yeah,
0: and not just a publicity stunt, too. Like, that's what we were saying is, is it one of those marketing gambits where they're like, we'll do something controversial to get attention and there won't be any real, uh, you know, repercussions for us. Yeah. Uh, And it's like, no, you can't see something like that and think, oh, Oh, that was a win. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you, your right. mind says it's absolutely intentional. It's Nephilim connected. It's part of this plot oh, to yeah. destroy humans.
2: Exactly. Right. Okay. And then if you, I mean, you could go down this rabbit hole a long ways, but if you dig a little further, so the, the photographer of these ads, his name is um, Gabriel Gallimberte. Mm-hmm. And he tweeted on July 31st, 2022. He said, why restrict child pornography and not guns? So he's kind of letting us know this is what he's about. And then in another ad, again, in the backdrop, you know, some of the things they do are subtle, some of them not so subtle. But this one was a book. Oh, yeah, the book. Um, There's a a woman and there's a book and it was Michael Borman's. Did you guys already talk about this on your? We
1: didn't talk about the book, but yeah, I do. I did see that.
2: Yeah, so Michael Borman's book is called Fire from the Sun, and I just looked at a few images from this book, and it is extremely disturbing. There are bloody, naked, dismembered children in his book. And so clearly Balenciaga is trying to normalize not only pedophilia, but satanic ritual abuse. And then you think about their lead designer, um, you know, Lada Volkova. She had on her Instagram page all of these pictures involving children and adults and satanic ritual abuse. And thankfully, the backlash was so strong, she had to move it to a private account. So it's no longer available. And that just shows like what they're about. And then I saw another ad where I'm not sure if it was like yellow caution tape or if it was supposed to be like a bracelet uh, or yeah, what it yeah. was. But they had Balenciaga on it, but they spelled it with two A's. So you, <laughs> what saw you that. saw was Bale. Yeah. And I've heard people say, "Oh, that translates into such and such." So I did it myself, and I I used a, a you know a foreign language translator uh, yeah. translating Balenciaga from Latin to English, and it means Bale the King. So they very clearly are saying what principality they're aligned with right, and what right, they're representing. Right. And that's just one example, like you were saying earlier, I mean, the occult influence has just really infiltrated the arts and fashion and sports and music and Hollywood and television. And, you know, even our education, really almost every aspect of society. And one of the things that I try and point out for people is, um, the reality of Disney and Disneyland and what Disney was involved with. So Walt Disney, was a 33rd degree Mason and he was involved in the Illuminati and 33 was a very important number to him. He built the magic kingdom Disneyland on the 33rd parallel club 33 gets its name um, because it's built on this parallel and club 33 is located on 33 Royal street in Disneyland. And it is steeped with Masonic architecture and decor. And so if you go to, um, in fact, I think Nate from Blurry Creatures, he tried to get into Club
1: 33 <laughs> once <time>. Of course. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Um, but on the door, just aside from the door, is an oval emblem with 33, you know, representing the address. But on either side of the door is two columns. And in Freemasonry, that the columns represent Osiris and Isis, or Baal and Queen of Heaven. Hmm. And then on top of the columns are three stars representing 33. And again, it's just communicating to all those that go that you have to be a 33rd degree Mason to get in. Oh. And the main dining room is has the classic Masonic checkerboard floor on it. And so... Then I, I discovered this really interesting article. You know, I'm into research. I love reading journal articles. There was a research study done in 2009, and it was published in the Social Science Journal. And these researchers, what they did is they discovered that there was a tragic death in nearly every Disney movie. And so what they analyzed is they analyzed the 45 um, Fully animated feature films that were published or produced by Disney from 1937 to 2006. And what they did is they analyzed these movies for child maltreatment using the criteria from the U.S. National Incident Study of Child Abuse and Neglect what they found is 561 incidents of child maltreatment in their movies. Huh. 62% of the main child characters were mistreated at least once in the movies. So what Disney is doing is they are normalizing the maltreatment of children. And that's because Disney was involved in such satanic ritual abuse. And then you fast forward to our day, On August 25th of last year, 2022, Disney FX, you know, they debuted an adult animated sitcom called Little Demon. And there was a Hollywood uh, news source called Deadline, and I want to read to you what they say about it. They say, no show that chronicles life as the devil's spawn should be rated G. Am I right? (laughs) That's one of the unique characteristics of Little Demon, FX's upcoming animated show about a mother named Laura, whose Antichrist daughter, Chrissy, is quite literally the daughter of Satan. Among other shenanigans, the comedy from creators Darcy Fowler, Seth Kirshner, and Kirian Vala drops some potty language and shows Laura nude with no pixelation. She strips down in the first episode to perform a ritual, while there are multiple instances of nudity throughout the series. And this is rated G by Disney. Oh, your kids can watch Disney. It's safe. Go ahead. Enjoy. Well, what this is doing, this is displaying the ritual of Satan impregnating a human woman to give birth to the Antichrist. These are real high level satanic rituals that are taking place in our generation. And what Disney is doing is attempting to desensitize the public to the horrors of these rituals by turning it into an animated comedy. And that's why I think, you know, it's so important that we have to awaken to the fact that these things are not only real, but this is what is advancing the Nephilim agenda. And really, you know, we have to go back to, the origins of the occult and where that all comes from, and the the dots connect. Yeah,
1: yeah, <clears throat> man, that's a uh, it's heavy stuff. Um, what do you think the reason is that they do this stuff in the open and try to push it? It seems like if they were like a secret society, they would want to keep secret. But maybe it's a form of like you said, like grooming the the public to come out more and more and desensitize or demoralize the country?
2: I think there's, I think there's several layers to what they're doing. First of all, um, they do predictive programming. And so they have to let the public know what it is they're going to do. And in essence, the Illuminati, what they believe is that they're giving, it's like they're giving us an opportunity to consent. So if we don't raise a stink about it, then, then we're okay with it. We've given them our consent. They can move forward with their plan. So predictive programming is definitely part of it. I also think that it is becoming more and more out in the open because um, we are winning the battle and they are desperate. And so they have to, what used to be able to, uh, they could accomplish in secret they now have to move to the the public, to the masses, um, because I believe that um, Jesus is winning the battle. I mean, Jesus won the war, Amen. Right. but in this battle right. in our generation, um, I believe that we are making significant headway in seeing the kingdom of God advancing. And so they're getting more and more desperate. And I tell people, you know, some people are just completely distraught with the times that we're living in, and understandably so. I mean, it it's getting worse and worse, no doubt. But I, I think of it this way. I think we're not only living in the worst of times, we are living in the best of times. Because as darkness intensifies, what that allows us to do, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have Jesus within us. And that light of Jesus can shine even brighter and so I've, I'm seeing so many people coming to the, know the Lord as their personal Savior because of all that's taken place since 2020. There really is this, this growing advancement of God's kingdom. And I'm, I'm so excited about that. But I do think it's, you know, it's really important that we become aware of what Satan is is busy doing and I want to kind of touch on the origins of the occult because I think this will help connect the dots with this Nephilim agenda and how it's intertwined in the occult. So, you know, when you, we think about it going back to what I was describing about the Nephilim agenda, when when those fallen sons of God when they left their heavenly abode and invaded the earth realm, what they did is they brought this this knowledge, this divine knowledge that was intended just for the boundaries of heaven, they gave it to humans as a way to entice humans to crave knowledge instead of desiring a relationship with God. And this is, um, you know, it's really the same trap that the serpent laid for Eve in enticing her to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is the origin of all the mystery religions and the occult practices, you know, their pursuit is that secret knowledge, you know, they, they want to have that, because it allows them to attain this higher level of consciousness is what they think. And so they're after attaining that secret knowledge. And really, it's, you know, it's this in the face of defiance to almighty God. It's like their declaration saying, God is not necessary, that we can attain higher consciousness, that we can, you know, solve the problems of the world. Well, when you, when you follow the trail of the occult, it goes all the way back to Nimrod. You know, that saying where all roads lead to Rome Well, all occultic roads leads to Nimrod. Nimrod was Satan's first attempt at raising up an antichrist. In fact, you know, most scholars, it's widely agreed that Nimrod was the first world leader of human history. So when you think about it, he was the first globalist, so to speak. And Nimrod, you know, he was defiant in the face of almighty God. And he became this Gabor. And I can describe that in a moment where he became this hybrid. And one of the things I love about scripture, and you guys probably have discovered as you've been digging deeper into it, is it's this massive treasure chest. You know, we can look at scripture and read it on the surface and get so much out of it. And we can reread the same passage and get something different out of it. And that's just on the surface. But then when we start digging in, to scripture, I've, I picture this treasure chest and we're reaching in and we keep reaching and reaching and we realize there is no bottom to the treasure. And I intend to spend the rest of my life digging into scripture and I know I will not barely scratch the surface of the treasures that it contains.
0: Right. She's pretty sure. And so one now, of the things out. that yeah, happened for
2: out. me in. <laughs> and- <laughs> in writing this book is that, um, the Lord led me to these passages that I've read. You know, I've, I've read, I don't know how many times in my Christian walk, but he's like, no, dig, dig deeper here. And before I touch on those, I want to just lay out some basic foundation concepts about epigenetics, because this will tie together, um, particularly with generational inequity and understanding how to break free from that stuff. So, With epigenetics, simply stated, it is, you know, the impact our thoughts and lifestyle choices have on our body, soul, and spirit, as well as our future generations. And so epi, the the prefix epi means on top of. So epigenetics is a set of instructions that sits on top of the genome. And there's also these things called epigenetic marks, which essentially act like switches, you know, switching on and off a gene. Well, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, she writes this in Switch on Your Brain. She says, the sins of parents create a predisposition, not a destiny. So our choices, which are considered epigenetic signals, alter the expression of genes, which are those epigenetic marks that can be passed on to our children and grandchildren, ready to predispose them before they're even conceived. So our bad choices become their bad predispositions. So I wanted to kind of lay that out a little bit because I'm going to build on that. So back to those um, few passages in in Genesis where the Lord's like, no, dig, dig, like dig deeper here. One of them is uh, Genesis 6, 9, and I'm sure you guys covered this, uh, but it says, and these are the origins of Noah. Noah was a just man being perfect in his generation. Noah was well-pleasing to God. So, here we see that Noah being perfect in his generation means that Noah's genealogy, his genome, was not corrupted by the Nephilim. So, he was 100% human, as were his wife and sons. But there's the possibility that one or more of the wives of Noah's sons was a carrier of the Nephilim gene. Now, I go into this in much more detail in my book. But we know from scripture that Ham had this pattern of sexual perversion in his life. And so it wouldn't be surprising if he had chosen a wife who was a carrier of that Nephilim gene, but perhaps she had an epigenetic marker that turned off that gene. Well, a curse released in her bloodline could unlock that Nephilim gene. And I believe that's what we see in the life of Nimrod. So Ham's Poor choices become Nimrod's bad predispositions that he acts upon. And we see, um, we see this in, in the other passage, and this is Genesis 10, 8. It says, Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Now, one of the things that I did in my book is I performed what I like to call an archaeological dig on language. And so what I do is I go back to the etymology of these words. You know, We want to look at these words in the original language because as you do, the the meaning just really unfolds a greater depth of understanding. So this passage is a case in point in that. And so if we look at the meaning of Nimrod, his name means rebellion. Well, that's a hallmark trait of the Nephilim. Then that next phrase, it says, he began in the Hebrew, that's the word halal. And it means to, to profane, to defile or pollute oneself through ritual or sexual means. Now, there's no way when you read that in the English, you were going to pick that up from he began. And that's why it's so beautiful to dig into scripture. Another uh, word here in this passage is mighty men. And that's the Hebrew word, gabor which means not only mighty, it means strong, valiant, champion, giant, tyrant, chief. And it comes from the root word gabar, which means to prevail, to be strong, to show oneself mighty and to act proudly toward God. And this is what Nimrod did. Well, the first mention of Gabor in Scripture is in Genesis 6-4, and it is referencing the Nephilim. And so not every time in Scripture does Gabor reference, um, or is it talking about giants or the Nephilim? Because David's mighty men, as an example, that word is Gabor there. So you really have to look at the context. But here we see the context is referring to Nimrod becoming a Nephilim or a giant, So Nimrod, you know, when he was born, he didn't have the phenotype of the Nephilim, but he defiled his genome by engaging in those ritualistic sex acts. And that's what we pick up from that Hebrew phrase, he began. And then when you consider that Nimrod's grandfather, Ham, you know, he had this iniquity of disrespectfully gazing at Noah's nakedness and perhaps doing even worse things, you know, that created this... um, predisposition for sexual perversion in his children and his grandchildren. So you have Ham's iniquity and Noah's curse in conjunction with Ham's wife being a likely carrier of the Nephilim gene. All of that set the stage for the Nephilim phenotype to emerge after the flood. And that's what I believe we see in the life of Nimrod when he engaged in those defiant sexual ritualistic acts. What he was doing is he was switching on that epigenetic marker that had been in that off position. He switched it on. And what that did is that unzipped that dormant gene of the Nephilim genes. And so, That's how Nimrod could become a Gabor or become a hybrid. Now, in understanding more about Nimrod and his character and what he was up to, I think it brings to light um, more things for us to consider. First of all, you know, we think about Nimrod. He was driven by this desire for control and domination. And so what he did is, you know, he, he suppressed his subjects by really, you know, using fear and intimidation. And again, that's a hallmark trait of the Nephilim. And, you know, he was filled with such pride and arrogance. He thought he could create something with his own hands that would outmaneuver almighty God. And the Jewish historian Josephus, he writes this, he says, Nimrod was a bold man and of great strength of hand. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny. So again, we kind of think about what's happening around the world here and now. See, no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again. For that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Wow. So this gives us an indication of why he was building this tower of Babel. You know, he thought he could avenge God for drowning the world. Well, there's other clues that are laid out for us um, in scripture as to why they were building this tower of Babel. Um, the other one is Genesis eleven four, and it says, "...so that we may make a name for ourselves." Well, if you look at the Hebrew meaning of that phrase, what it means is to build a monument or a memorial in order to draw fame and glory. So that's what they were doing. That definition really exposes the the motivation of Nimrod and his followers. They wanted to be made known. You know, they wanted to have glory unto themselves. They wanted these subsequent generations to revere them. Well, that's the pride of life. And that's what the Gabor seek after. They want to be men of renown. And their desire for fame and glory is really what drives this Nephilim agenda. Nephilim hosts, they want to be elevated to that godlike status. And that's why they do the things they do. And to go back and answer your question, Josh, you know, I believe it's because they're filled with such pride that they're so brash. They're just so out there in the open with what they do because they feel like they're unconquerable, like no one can defeat them. Well, we know from Proverbs 16, 18, that pride comes before the fall. And, you know, one other thing I'll just mention about the Tower of Babel that's interesting to consider is there's a potential that what Nimrod was doing is he was trying to open a portal to other dimensions and trying to unlock the fallen sons of God that were locked up in Tartarus. Whoa. Not only that, but to release the reemergence of the Nephilim. And so when you think about that as a possibility, it makes so much sense, the urgency in which Yahweh intervened in that in that situation. Yeah, dang. Well, I believe you know, the globalists are driving toward one world government and they have the same goal. And that is to open up this Stargate, this portal to unleash the hordes of hell, because that, that one world leader, the Antichrist, he will be empowered by the hordes of hell to incite every form of wickedness, just as in the days of Noah. And that's why I think it's so important that we not get sucked in to the occult influence, you know, that's, that's all around us right now.
1: Definitely. Is that, is that what they're doing at CERN? They're trying to open the uh, (laughs) portal to Hades, man.
0: Oh man, that's absolutely, that's a whole nother can right there. We have to save CERN for another episode.
1: (laughs) Dude, that's so good. I love it. I love it. But I, I also, I'm glad
0: that you spent so much time talking about Nimrod and the Tower of Babel because we have, we have that coming up, uh, probably in a few weeks or so. Yeah. We we were slowly making our way through Genesis 1 through 11, kind of those ancient, you know, the the frame stories for the rest of the Bible. And when we got to Genesis 6, it was like, all right, let's park here for a minute and just talk about, <laughs> yeah. you know. So, uh so that's perfect. I'm glad you mentioned that, but you know, it's easy. You you said this earlier. It's easy when you see all this stuff going on like people love Disney. People love, you know, not, and not just Disney, any Hollywood and, you know, all this stuff. And when you hear that there might be these very evil intentions behind it, it it's, and it's, and then you hear on the news about um, the the woke agenda and what they're doing in schools and, and some of the the bills that are being um, written, you know, and, and they're trying to pass in government. And, and, and so it's easy to feel overwhelmed and it's easy to feel mm-hmm. like, what can we do? We're really helpless in this in this situation what What are Christians supposed to do to make sure that we're free and then to to kind of fight back?
2: yeah, well, I you know, back to what I was saying earlier, just about you know we're not only are we living in the worst of times, but we're living in the best of times. and just I take such great courage in the fact that Jesus living in me is more powerful than anything that will try and come against me. You know, in Romans 8 31, what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? But I think it's really important to be sober minded and to recognize that, you know, there is this infiltration that is busy happening in our modern culture of occult practices. And, you know, Satanism is really pushing the envelope. I've read the other day that they're having Satan clubs now in in kindergarten or not in kindergarten, excuse me, in elementary school, where you know after school clubs that you can sign up and be part of the Satan club. Jeez, um, yep. you know it, it's just really out there in the open. And I think you know Jesus called us to be in the world and not of the world. And I love the prayer that He offers up in John 17, and I'll read a portion of that. It says. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And so I know that like for me, I'm, I research very dark things and spiritual mapping. I am going to dark places, but I know that Jesus in me is much more powerful. And so I don't have to fear. And I, you know, I, I stand on the fact that he is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the word. The word was made flesh in him. And so we're sanctified by the word because of the truth in the word. Unfortunately, it's so easy to fall astray. And I think that's what's happening. You know, I'm seeing this this movement of woke theology, even within Christian churches. And it's just so easy to get off kilter. You know, you just veer slightly to the right or the left, and you're no longer on that narrow path. And I think it really starts with our thoughts. It's so important to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, because when we don't, we get further and further off of that narrow path and we we find ourselves on that path leading to destruction. And that's where strongholds can ensnare us. And I want to kind of go back to, I mentioned strongholds, um, you know, as I was talking about spiritual mapping But I think this is really important, and it's a way to equip us um, because, you know, Hosea 4, 6 says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. We have to understand what's happening, what's going on, what we're up against. That equips us to have victory and to fight against it. And I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 10, Verses four through five, it says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So strongholds develop when we don't deal with iniquity. Now, iniquity, um, you know, some people use sin and iniquity interchangeably. I see them slightly different. So iniquity, if you look at um, the Hebrew word for iniquity, you can kind of tease this out a bit. It really is a pattern of sin. So iniquity comes out of a place of having a depraved mind. Sin means to miss the mark. But iniquity comes from that heart that's set on evil ambition, Another way to think about it is sin is like a single strand of yarn, but iniquity is strand upon strand woven together to form this thick cord. And just to give some examples of iniquity, you know, those would be addictions like sexual addictions, alcohol, drug addictions, different forms of violence, domestic violence, child abuse, ritual abuse, you know, violent crimes. Lawlessness is iniquity. Even deceptive business practices, if that happens over and over again, that's iniquity. Anytime you, ha- you are dominating um, and manipulating in relationships, that's iniquity. And then bloodshed, idolatry, and broken covenants. So when these things happen in a community or in a territory, what that does is that opens the door for the enemy to gain a foothold. And if that iniquity is not dealt with, that foothold becomes a stronghold. And what a stronghold does is it's a net that ensnares us. And we see this, if we look at the Hebrew word for stronghold, it's matsud, And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that (laughs) right, but it says, um, it means net, capture, defense, fortress, be hunted, snare, and strong place. So in scripture, if you look at strongholds, David speaks of strongholds. There's both positive strongholds and negative strongholds. So the Lord is our stronghold. We want to run into him like that strong tower and hide in the, in the strength of his stronghold. That's a positive example of what a stronghold is. The negative example is those things that ensnare and and trap us. And I'll describe it a little bit more. What's interesting in in looking at that Hebrew word um, for stronghold, it comes from a root word that's sued. And it means to lie in wait, to chase, to hunt, and to take provision. Well, there's also an interesting figurative meaning to that word. And it means someone who lies in wait to catch a human. In other words, to entrap someone with the intent to exploit them for personal gain. So that kind of gives you a feeling of what a stronghold does. Another way to think about it is I think about Jericho, for example. A stronghold is like this fortified city. Jericho had these impenetrable walls that really controlled controlled the flow of traffic in and out. Well, that's what principalities, rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of darkness, that's what they want to do. They want to take the territory and then set up these walls, these strongholds to keep us held and bound within where they can control us. So not only are there strongholds over cities, like we were talking about Baton Rouge and and, um, New Orleans, there's a stronghold of, of witchcraft and voodoo over that. That territory. So there's not only strongholds over cities, states, regions, and nations, but there's strongholds over our mind. And what can happen is when we live in a territory where there's a stronghold, it can affect the people that live there, whether or not they know that this stronghold exists. And so what happens is they can develop a stronghold in their mind that directly is connected to the stronghold in the territory. And these are, again, spiritual mapping concepts. And the reason why we do spiritual mapping, we want to tear down those territorial strongholds so that it sets people free and their minds are set free from those strongholds. And we see a biblical example of this. Well, first of all, I should have said that, you know, in the reconnaissance component of spiritual mapping, a biblical example is when Moses sent the 12 spies into the land of Canaan and when Joshua sent the two spies into the land of Jericho. He wanted them to go spy out the land and take note of what's happening there. That's what reconnaissance is. Um, But we also see this example of how people can come under that territorial. Uh, stronghold and it influenced their mind. A biblical example is um the ten spies that came back with a report when Moses sent them into Canaan. They say in Numbers 1328, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. So here we see the report is filled with fear and intimidation. Well that was the pervading attitude of the Canaanites the Canaanites had stewarded their land in such a way that they developed this stronghold of fear and intimidation. So people who came onto their land came under that stronghold and it affected their thinking. And that's what happened with these 10 spies. It affected their report. But Joshua and Caleb When they came onto the land under that stronghold, they took every thought captive. They did not allow their mind to be swayed by the territorial stronghold. And that's why, you know, Caleb says in Numbers 1330, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Joshua and Caleb had that giant slayer mentality because they feared God. They didn't fear man. They didn't allow themselves to come under that territorial stronghold. Now another th- way that we can understand strongholds, there's um, a definition that Tom White gives in a book that he wrote. It's called A Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare, and he says a stronghold is an entrenched pattern of thought, ideology, and/or behavior that is contrary to the will of God. So again, I want to address the strongholds that can come over our thinking. You know, we we cannot underestimate the power of our thoughts. And again, this ties back into what I was talking about with epigenetics. You know, we know from epigenetics that our thoughts and our behaviors, our lifestyle choices, they affect our body, soul, and spirit, as well as future generations. So our thinking can alter our genetic expression, and that makes us susceptible to disease and illness. And so that's why it's so important that we need to perceive and interpret reality through the mind of Christ guided by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we're susceptible to just take on this these thoughts and, and this thinking pattern, believing you know those things in our culture that are being influenced from occult practices. And you know, I talked about this this transgenerational component of epigenetics. I really want to um, touch on this a little bit because this is what happens um, with strongholds, particularly strongholds are strengthened both through personal iniquity, corporate iniquity, meaning the iniquity that happens in a community or an institution such as the Federal Reserve or a school or a territory. So that's corporate iniquity. But it's also strengthened through generational iniquity. And this is what I want to hit home with just to kind of leave us with some encouragement and what we can do practically to break free from this stuff. So there's some fascinating research on epigenetics, the transgenerational component to it. And there's a group of Swedish researchers, Pembry et al. And they, in 2006, they did this study and what they found is that um, the eating and lifestyle choices of prepubescent boys affects their progeny for two generations. So they found that boys that either overate and or smoked at around the age of ten had children and grandchildren with significantly shorter lifespans. So what that shows us is that their poor choices become the bad predispositions of their children and grandchildren, and it really ties in that our thoughts and our behaviors affect our genes and we pass that on to our children and grandchildren and that's what can lead to strongholds developing in our lives through generational iniquity so i want to address how do we how do how are we set free from generational iniquity and i'll just give some examples of steps that people can take. I've done this in my own life. I've seen it, um, you know, work in other people's lives. So the first thing we want to do is obviously we want to confess any ways that we have allowed that generational iniquity to play out in our own lives. And so I'll use an example. I'll I'll use an example from my own life. So in my generational line, we have iniquity of fear and worry where instead of trusting in God, we worry and and fear. We fear man, we fear failure, we fear um, death. And that's a generational iniquity. So I needed to confess in my own life the ways that I had opened the door to that generational sin to come into my life. The second thing we want to do is we want to renounce it. What that means is we want to declare we no longer want claim to this generational iniquity. It is no longer welcome in our lives. And then we want to repent. Repent means we turn around and go the opposite direction, right? We we want to repent not only for in our own lives, what we've done, but we want to repent on behalf of our fathers, grandfathers, our ancestors who opened the door to that iniquity in the first place in our bloodline. And there's a lot of people that are like, "How? I, that doesn't sound biblical to me. Why are we praying and asking and forgiveness for you know our ancestors?" Well, Daniel nine gives us an example, and it's called identificational repentance. So, da- in Daniel nine, Daniel is praying, and I'm just going to read several verses from this chapter. He says, "Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame." The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. O oh, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins, And the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. He's laying out this generational iniquity that they've fallen into. When you look up the, the Hebrew word for fathers in that phrase, iniquity of our fathers, it's the Hebrew word of, which not only means immediate fathers, but it means ancestors, as in grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfathers. So that's what Daniel is doing. And when we do that, we are essentially closing the door to that generational curse that's flowing through the bloodline. So we want to go back... And oftentimes, you know, we don't know when it, when that started in our bloodline and, but the Holy Spirit does. Mm -hmm. And so we just go before him and we ask him, Lord, show me what generation did this. Sometimes he'll give people like a number six. Okay. Six generations ago, this is when it was opened. Um, The Holy Spirit wants us free and is so faithful. So you just ask him. What? where did this begin? Where is the origin of this in my bloodline? And you cut that off. The next thing you do is if that generational iniquity opened the door to demonic oppression in your life, you want to go through deliverance. That's what I had to do. I had to go through deliverance. I had, when I was six, I went to my great grandmother's open casket funeral, and I was very close to her. Um, She would care for me during the days sometimes. And When I went and I saw her lying in that casket dead at the age of six, it freaked me out. And I was so fearful. Well, a stinking spirit of fear of death came into me at that point in my life. I didn't know that. It laid dormant in me until I got to graduate school, which was Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena. And uh, bless the people that live in L.A. County, I that is a hard place to live. But when I got to Pasadena, um, I lived in Altadena and it was just, you know, maybe 15 minutes from campus. Um, but I, when I was studying, I could hear gunshots go off and I used to go to this park at the end of our street and my husband and I would, you know, do all sorts of sports at this park. Well, there was someone who was shot and killed at this park. It was at the end of our street. So every day I'd have to drive past that and see the blood stained on the road. Then helicopters flying over looking for criminals. We had carjackings. I was there when the the Rodney King riots broke out and they were dragging people out of their cars and beating them. I mean, it was a horrible My time to live in L.A. County. But what happened because of that That fear of death that I was living in that territorial way, it kicked up, it manifested that demon that lay dormant in me since age six. And I started having paralyzing daymares where I would be in vulnerable places and I would have this vision of me getting brutally raped and cut up and killed. And it was, it was so, um, disturbing to me. And, but the Lord created a pathway of deliverance for me that is a beautiful story. It takes a little bit of time to lay out, but essentially I call it a Holy Spirit setup. And I ended up in this class at Fuller. I had no idea what it was about. I took the class because that professor in another class, I received a miraculous healing of carpal tunnel syndrome because he prayed for me. And I thought, whatever class this man is teaching that fits in my schedule, I'm taking. (laughs) And so I signed up for a class called Power Encounter. It was a class on deliverance. Okay, at that point in my life, I barely understood the angels and demons existed. Like I had such little understanding of the spiritual realm. But the Holy Spirit just set the path for me. Um, to go through deliverance in this class. And not only was I set free from a spirit of fear of death, but I had a heart murmur since um, a very young age. And every doctor I went to would let me know, hey, do you realize you have a heart murmur? Well, during the deliverance, um, when they were praying for me, I literally felt like the tallions of this demon grip my heart and my heart started burning and I freaked out. Like, Mm -hmm. stop. Like, I told him to stop no more. Like, my heart is burning. And I was fearful of dying. The very thing they're Mm -hmm. praying over me to get set free from. I was at this, like, crucible moment. And thankfully, they were very skilled. And they explained what was happening. And they just took authority over that spirit and commanded it to stop. Mm -hmm. Well, I got set free. And I got healed of a a heart murmur. No no doctor since has found that heart so murmur. Awesome. And so I say, I share all that because it started with that generational iniquity of fear that runs in our bloodline. Just as a kid, I'm six years old. I go to an open casket funeral. It's not like I'm saying fear come right, into right, my right. life, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the enemy, when there is a curse in that in that family line, he has legal right mm to go after everyone in that bloodline until that curse is broken. So he went after me. And I, I share that because if there is demonic oppression and I was a believer, I, I mean, I've been a believer since I was like four or five. Um, so it wasn't like I was rebellious towards God or anything, Right. but he create, Jesus creates that pathway of freedom for us. And then once we're set free we have to walk in the opposite spirit. So when I'm coming home from that deliverance um, experience at Fuller, I should have said this, but one of the things that would trigger these daymares is any type of violence that was, I was surrounded by helicopters particularly because in Los Angeles, they're not tourist helicopters. They're helicopters with searchlights looking for criminals, <laughs> yeah. right? Jeez, That would trigger these daymares. Um, and I, no joke. I'm coming home from deliverance. I'm set free. I'm rejoicing. I am absolutely in awe. I drive into my apartment complex, which is gated and over my apartment complex is a helicopter with a (laughs) searchlight. And thankfully I knew in that moment, this was a test. Was I going to open that door right back up and demons would come flooding in even stronger than they were before. Or am I going to walk in the opposite spirit and declare that I trust the Lord for protection over my life? And thankfully, I chose the latter. And I have not dealt with that fear of mm-hmm. death ever since. And so um, that is so important once we get go through deliverance is to walk in that opposite spirit. But that's how you break generational iniquity in your life. And we want to do that because, as I mentioned, the enemy is a legalist. So if there is an open door or a curse in that family line, we have to deal with it. Otherwise, he has he has the ability um, just to influence the people in that bloodline, whether that's through disease, illness, tragic accidents, demonic oppression, you name Mm. it. So that's so cool,
1: because I think about, you know, the genealogies in the Bible and it's like most Christians, they just kind of skip all that stuff, but it's important, you know, God put it there for a reason and then he tracks all these individuals, you know, through their family lines. And that makes so much sense how you brought, how you brought that out. So cool.
0: Yeah. And again, I love how practical that is too. Like, that's, that's the kind of thing you would hear taught in church. Like, Oh, there's a, you know, spirit of fear. You need to pray and be delivered. But, but man, just to, to hear about your experience and, um, you know, that you, you use scripture to lay it out. You've made it very clear. Like, here's yeah. what the devil's tactic is. Here's how you fight back. I, that is, I feel like I'm going to need some time to kind of process all this and, and just be like, man, what's, well, what's going
1: on in my life now? Like I'm going to go pray. Another about amazing stuff. thing is that there's Christians in California. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hallelujah. He has his people everywhere. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love you, California. You're fine.
0: Well, um, so at at this point, I mean, I have a, I have a few more questions I could ask you, but I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, Mm -hmm. so, so why don't we go ahead and, and conclude and maybe I can ask you later or something, but, um, tell people again, where to find more information, uh, if they want to hear from you, uh, tell them where to find your book.
2: Yeah. The best place to start is my website, which is no longer enslaved.com. And then from there, my book's available off my website. Um, you can purchase it on barnesandnoble.com um, or also Amazon. And I, I have a YouTube and a Rumble channel that is called No Longer Enslaved. And on that, I do a 10-part series on the impact of the Nephilim agenda today. So if your listeners want to dig deeper, um, that's a great way to start. Of course, my book is The Deep Dive, and yeah. I connect all the dots Uh, And I also finished a seven part series on transformation through spiritual mapping. And so if people are interested in learning more about spiritual mapping, watching those videos on my channel is a good way to go. And then I'm also on Instagram and Telegram under Laura Sanger, 444 Hertz as in HZ. So that's how people can reach
0: me. Yeah. Which I've I've heard you, that's a whole other story, why the 444 hurts. <laughs> and I know everybody asks you about that every time you're on a show or something. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. <laughs>
1: Well, we thank you so much for coming on. I know you didn't have to do that. I know you're very busy, uh, but we have thoroughly enjoyed, and we'll have to have you back, hopefully, maybe in the future. Um, but yeah, everybody listening, get her book, go to her website, listen to all of her stuff. You'll be greatly blessed and learn. And uh, I love that it's it's bringing like, the story of the Bible and the story of Jesus to life. You know, We get uh, bogged down, I think, sometimes sitting in church on Sundays, and we just feel like, oh, we're just doing this, but there's a war going on. There's a battle raging and it's the spiritual and it's the physical and it's mingled together and it's a huge deal. Um, but yeah, like you said, Jesus, Jesus is King and he's got, he's got it all wrapped up. We just need to stick close to him. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Thank you again.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me guys. It was wonderful to be with you. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah.
0: I, I look forward to sharing this episode and seeing what, uh what kind of feedback we get, because I, I Josh and I are not scholars uh, like in, <laughs> no. in any regard. We're, we're going off of what we hear from everybody else. We're just reading what other people post and stuff. And so it's nice <laughs> to have somebody that knows what they're talking about. Come exactly. on. And uh, yeah, so this is it's had this episode's had a totally different vibe. I, I can't thank you enough. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome.
1: All right, wasn't that awesome, you guys? Josh, what'd you think, man? I need a medic because my face is melted onto the floor. Yeah, we need a mop. <laughs> <laughs> Our minds are blown, dude. Doctor Laura is just a, a total treat. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a daunting topic, and it almost seems hopeless. You know, the state yeah. that we're in and, yep. and the agenda of the darkness. But man, she really brought it home with a great message of hope and. You know just looking toward that jesus is victorious
0: yeah greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world right exactly yeah man i i agree it's it's very easy to feel like if there's all this going on in the spiritual world and then and in,
1: in then in the, the in the natural world and yeah.
0: politics and Lord in entertainment mercy. and business right it's easy to feel overwhelmed and helpless you feel like man what what's the average joe what am i supposed to do about mm-hmm. to, to fight back but man she uh She really nailed it and so i I hope that i hope that our audience i hope you guys really consider that Mm -hmm. and i hope that that encourages you that it gives you some practical steps to take to to fight back in your own life and and
1: and step out in the community and the good thing about it is we we, to know who our enemy is know his tactics that way we're not deceived or anybody around us you know in our family or friends our circles of influence are not deceived and we can give them that hope that's in christ
0: yeah and it it, like you said the tactics his plan really hasn't changed and she said it's the same as adam and eve the serpent offered knowledge the 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 watchers offered knowledge we talked about that when we did enoch yep it's the same tactic uh, this this knowledge and power and corruption and uh but the bible says that he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise you know and and, uh, all we need is, is to put our faith in Christ and to walk in the power of the Holy
1: Spirit. Yep. That's uh, it. So go buy her book, the roots of the federal reserve. You can get it on Amazon, follow everything that she does. Just follow her Instagram, follow her website. And while you're at it, you can, um, also make sure you're following us on Instagram yes. behind
0: the curtain PC. You can send us a message. We would love to hear your feedback on what Dr. Sanger had to say. Yes, and, uh, very much. we also love answering questions and responding to comments and, um, Definitely. So, you know, we do have an email if you prefer email, if you're one of those kinds of people. We have behind the curtain PC at Gmail The other thing that I wanted to say mm-hmm. is this is our second guest that we've had on the show. Only our second guest. Yeah. I love hearing what these people have to say because yes. they have these experiences and, and knowledge and stuff. And uh, and so we are we are working on new guests. So, yeah, you guys won't just have to listen to me and Josh talk forever. We're, yeah. we're going to find
1: other people to come and we're actually just gonna set keep, us straight. We're just you know? going to keep <laughs> finding guests and then we won't ever have to talk again. There you go. <laughs> Hey man, that, that's not a bad plan. <laughs> Just letting it out
0: right now. We do have another guest lined up very soon, so uh, be sure you stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram and uh, and make sure that you're you're up to date with what's going on with behind the curtain mysteries yes. of the past and present. Boom. See you guys. Have a good uh, week, later. month, or whatever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> whatever you're doing, have it good.